In this week's Big Tech Show, we talk to the Dublin startup that wants to help big companies stop making stupid, embarrassing mistakes with their AI, such as telling people to eat rocks as part of a healthy diet. Basic definition of hallucination is say, stating something very confidently, but in fact, it's factually incorrect. This AI technology is very good at stating something very confident, mimicking human-level confidence, but then they could be factually incorrect. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard the news? The Indo Daily is up for a Listener's Choice Award. Head over to the irishpodcastawards.ie forward slash vote. Today on the Indo Daily. Conspiracies and the Crown. Details still emerging of the accident in Paris at around midnight Paris time involving Diana, Princess of Wales. Concussion, a broken arm, lacerations of the thigh shouldn't give enormous cause for concern, but uh, one wonders if one is being told the whole truth at the moment. 25 years ago, Diana, Princess of Wales, was killed in a car crash in the Pont de l'Alma tunnel in Paris. We have reports from Paris that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been killed in a car accident and that her partner, Dodie Fired, has also been killed. They were apparently being pursued by paparazzi on two motorcycles. Now, what followed was a massive global outpouring of grief for the people's princess. At the tunnel by the Pont d'Alma, Parisians and tourists alike came in droves. Some came simply to stare, but most came in a sort of spontaneous pilgrimage to the road where Princess Diana's car crashed and killed her. But also a lingering doubt for some over what really happened that fateful night on the 31st of August in 1997. They have been murdered. Dodi and Diana being murdered, definitely. I am the father who knows everything, who follow up everything, who see things, because I am the one who been hit by that tragedy. I'm Siobhan Maguire and on today's episode we look back at the tragic death of Princess Diana, the many conspiracies that continue to this day about how and why she died so young and her legacy 25 years on. Joining me is Sunday independent columnist Sarah Cadden. I think one of the hardest things to come to terms with is the fact that the people that chased her through the, into the tunnel were the same people that were taking photographs of her while she was still dying on the back seat of the car. Um, and William and I know that. We've been told that numerous times by people that, that know that was the case. She'd had a, quite a severe head injury, but she was very much still alive on the back seat. And those people that, that caused the accident, instead of helping, were taking photographs of, of her dying on the back seat. And then those photographs made, made their way back to, uh, to news desks in this country. Sarah, Princess Diana's death 
is still fresh in people's minds, regardless of the 25 year anniversary. Can you take us back to August 1997 and the Diana of that time? Well, Charles and Diana had divorced a year before. And Diana, we have to remember, was only 36 that summer. She was really a a young woman. She had become engaged to Charles at only 19. And so it was probably her, you know, her first summer of freedom. Um, And she knew the Alfayed family of old. She holidayed early in the summer with her two boys um, with the Alfayeds. And then as the summer unfolded, it became clear that there was a romantic relationship blossoming with Dodi Al-Fayed, the, young, the eldest son of uh, the Harrods owner, Mohammed Al-Fayed. And so, you know, Diana remained at that point really the most famous woman in the world, the most photographed. Um, and she was possibly flexing her muscle as a, as a free woman. Um, certainly, you know, some of the reports of the time from paparazzi and journalists were that she very much was showing off this sort of new happiness. But behind the scenes, friends say that she was paranoid, unsteady in herself, very fearful of what once she was out of the royal family fold was a kind of, um, she felt, an unsafe place to be. And you're absolutely right, because in the run up to um, August 31st, the the tabloids in the UK could not get enough of Diana. We saw her in swimsuits, standing on yachts, you know, looking to really enjoy herself. But it seemed like every single thing she did, every single place she went, we knew about it. Yeah, and there have been a few documentaries now uh, on TV leading up to the 25th anniversary. And, you, you know... You forget how much of a sensation she caused. I I saw some footage of just random Australian tourists driving around Paris on the the Saturday night that she dined in the Ritz and going, what's going on here? Because there were throngs and throngs of people and so many uh, photographers and who could it could only at that time have been one person. I don't think now at this point, and it could be as a result of Diana's death, you don't see that kind of feeding frenzy uh, approach to an individual. But it was just if she twitched, it was photographed and it was written about. And, you know, there I, I saw one of the a couple of the documentaries lately and one of the journalists said they were, you know, they were stuck for something to write about. One of the tabloid journalists, they were stuck for something to write about after she died. Sarah, talk us through the events of that fateful evening in Paris. Now we can report that the British Foreign Secretary Robin Cook, speaking in the Philippines, has just confirmed that Diana, Princess of Wales, has died following the car crash at midnight in Paris. Well, Diana and Dodi Alfayed were in Paris. She was reportedly on her way back to London, according to friends of hers, because she hadn't seen her sons in a while. She really missed them. She was feeling a bit, you know, dislocated probably from her real life, having been, you know, around the Med for the summer. And they ate that evening in the Ritz Hotel, also owned by Mohammed Al-Fayed. Um, and that was because they were being pursued to such a huge extent, just could not budge without there being photographers. So it seemed like a safe place to dine, to spend the evening. And then they were going to stay over that night in uh, Dodi Al-Fayed's apartment, which was quite close to the hotel. When they were going to leave, 
there was concern again that they were going to be pursued and, and hounded by by like hundreds of, of people and cameramen outside. And so they called in Henri Paul, who was the one of the heads of security at the Ritz Hotel. He wasn't a driver. He was a hotel security person. And he was charged with driving them back from the hotel to the apartment. Now, they also had so in the car they they left by the, the rear exit of the hotel, but obviously they were still spotted. So there are photographs of of them kind of scurrying down to a waiting car and um, the camera footage in the in the lifts as well. Yes, which would have been security footage of the Ritz. And, you know, it's it's quite poignant kind of footage. He has her hand on he has his hand on her back and she's holding her hand kind of his hand. And you do kind of realize there are other people in the lift with them. You realize they're probably very rarely alone. These kind of people, that kind of discreet hand holding behind her back is quite poignant. But as they go down to the car, uh, you know, she's shielding her face and she doesn't want to be photographed. In the car with them, they had Trevor Reese jones who was an employee of the Al-Fayed family, not one of Diana's own security. And obviously they had been spotted and they, they were being, there were paparazzi on motorbikes. Henri Paul is reported to have been driving very, very fast through city streets, like over 100 miles per hour. And um, as they went down into the tunnel at the Pont d'Alma, the, the, the reports since say they clipped a white Fiat uh, Uno in the tunnel, then hit the posts in the tunnel and the car flipped out of control. Now, very, very serious impact at the front of the car. But unfortunately, nobody in the car uh, other than Trevor Reese jones he doesn't remember if he was wearing a seatbelt. But in the report, subsequent report, official report, it said he had put on a seatbelt and uh, Diana, Henri Paul and uh, Dodie were not wearing seatbelts. He still bears the scars of the crash that killed Princess Diana, Dodie Al-Fayed and their driver Henri Paul. Trevor Reese, Dodie's bodyguard and the sole survivor, told the inquest he can remember virtually nothing about it. But by all accounts, it would have been a survivable crash had they been wearing seatbelts. And this is where we get into uh, all of these so-called conspiracy theories uh, surrounding Diana's death, Sarah. Mohammed Al-Fayed believes Trevor Reese can remember much more than he's letting on. And you've just pointed out, had she been wearing a seatbelt, she might well have survived the crash. But this was a woman who actually believed that she was going to lose her life in a car crash. Well, she had what emerged later. So you might remember Paul Burrell. He was her, her. He worked for Diana. He described himself as, you know, Diana's rock. Um, very much uh, someone who for quite some time was sort of a self-styled spokesperson for Diana in, in death. And he wrote a book and he revealed a note that she had written him in 1995 where she said, she said, my husband, and she said that there would be a crash, a car crash, and that the, her husband would be behind it. And that was what she feared. Now, Interestingly, since then, um, one another thing that she references in that note is that she says this would leave Charles free to marry Tiggy, who was Tiggy Leg Burke, who was 
nanny to her two sons and that she says that Camilla was only a decoy. Um, that really it was Tiggy and that both she and Camilla were being used. Now, what we know since is that the Tiggy idea was put into Diana's head in the lead up to the Martin Bashir panorama interview, where we now know she was misled and people around her were misled into enticing her into doing that interview. And Prince William himself, um, when the reports of the came, the official report came out about the panorama interview, said that that all of that process, the lead up to the interview and the interview itself fed paranoia, fear and isolation in his mother in her final years. And you have to wonder if that was what made her believe that they were, let's say, out to get her. And uh, I mean, her death led to a massive outpouring of grief worldwide. And initially there was a lot of anger towards the royal family. Yeah, there was. I mean, you could say I I asked someone yesterday who's really not interested in the royals. Do you think that do you think they killed Diana? And this person said, well, it was convenient. It did work out quite well for them. And you could now stand back and look and say, well, it, it, it kind of did. I mean, Diana said in her panorama interview that she wasn't going to go quietly and I think she would have lived that out. I think, you know, she probably would have made their lives hell. And one of the things that uh, she did was that she was very much positioned, as Tony Blair uh, said after she died, as the people's princess. She was, you know, she had a heart. She was kind. She was very effusive with people and affectionate and tactile. All the things that her in-laws were not. And so when, when she died, it was like she was elevated even further and they were further kind of polarised as being cold and uncaring and, you know, that even if they hadn't actually killed her, (laughs) that they had, it was their fault because they were such bad people. The Queen was actually extremely nervous because she could feel the hostility and actually she heard people say, oh, about time you've come, you know, you they can hear an awful lot of things that the crowd say. And then I think a woman actually gave her a bunch of flowers and said, would you like me to place it for you? And the woman said, no, ma'am, it's for you. And I think suddenly people saw her. Instead of feeling all prickly and angry, they suddenly thought, my goodness, this is, this is a grandmother and she's got to deal with all this. That, that anger was also uh, exerted at the British media in addition to the royal family. But somebody who was very firmly pointing the finger of blame at her in-laws was Dodi's father, Mohammed Al-Fayed. Yes, and he he was devastated by the loss of his son. And I suppose, you know, in that position too, you probably feel that, you know, one person in the car you know, three people died, but that one person's death meant so much more than the other two people's deaths. And to him, obviously, Dodie was the much more important person. And he was very obviously for years when he was an awful lot in the, you know, in the media and putting forward his belief, you know, he was very clearly very deeply grief stricken. And he he asserts and he says 100% that both Dodie and Diana told him that they were engaged, that they planned to announce it on the Monday and that Diana was pregnant. 
Dodi and Diana being murdered, definitely. I am the father who knows everything, who follow up everything, who see things, because I am the one who been hit by the tragedy. Who would want them dead? And why would anyone want to kill them, Dodi and Diana? Because they still don't accept that Dodi, my son, an Egyptian, a Muslim, can be the stepfather of the future king. Right. He is absolutely determined this is what he was told and this is the truth and that the royals couldn't countenance um, an Egyptian stepfather for their um, for Harry and William, nor could they deal with the fact that the, the princess would have a child whose father was a Muslim. In addition to the very extensive inquest, and the hearings that we were all familiar with in terms of Trevor Rees trying to recount as much of what he could recall as to what happened. We also had this Operation Pages, which is this massive document, but 871 pages long. And it documents um, the, the investigation by the, the authorities into what happened and indeed into um, Mohammed Al-Fayed's own claims. And some of these now, Sarah, really would have you kind of, you know, wondering uh, exactly where he was getting his information from or uh, how he was coming to the conclusions that he did, because they were quite um, fantastical in parts. There was uh, a talk about, you know, the MI6 and CIA being involved in all of this, that Diana's body was embalmed hours after um, the crash and, you know, that was to hide a pregnancy. So, but he's still to this day adamant this happened. He is, he absolutely is. And Lord Stevens, who um, headed that uh, Operation Paget, he was a former commissioner of the, the Metropolitan Police. He said there were 104 um items that they were what they had to investigate was was it a case of conspiracy to murder that was what they had to decide on and that there were 104 separate items within that that they had to go into and his he would he says now today that they had to look at all 104 of those or it left room for saying yes but what about this and they you know, they spoke to people who were close to Diana. They spoke to people who, um, you know, were very involved with her at the time. They found no evidence that they were engaged or they did find that Dodie may have intended to um, propose to Diana that night, but that they would they assert that she didn't know about this and that she, in her mind, was not engaged to him. And they have found no proof of a pregnancy. And when you read Operation Paget or parts of it, all the kind of recounting from her friends state that Diana was just having a good time. The last thing she wanted was to get married again. Well, her friend, the journalist Jonathan Kay, who has also said that he saw a very big change in Diana in the last couple of years of her life, that she was, you know, incredibly um very paranoid about 
her car, uh, you know, that something bad was going to happen to her. He said that, you know, she did have a very difficult last two years of her life. He said that she told him that she needed uh, another marriage like a rash on her face. And for someone who's the most photographed person in the world to say that, that that's a pretty big thing. You don't need a rash on your face. And when you talk about uh, a person being the most photographed in the world, it was her brother, Earl Spencer, uh, who was quite adamant from the start that it was this relentless hounding of Diana by the British media that actually caused her death Um, and that infamous line that he spoke during her funeral speech. It is a point to remember that of all the ironies about Diana, perhaps the greatest was this. A girl given the name of the ancient goddess of hunting was, in the end, the most hunted person of the modern age. And then, of course, we still have those images from the funeral of a very young William and Harry walking behind the coffin as well, which was really heartbreaking, Sarah. Yeah. And Harry has said, you know, in in recent years that that was incredibly traumatic. He was such a little boy, only 12. And, you know, if you look at the footage, the little eyes darting around looking for reassurance, his father clearly at a loss to reassure him. Could anyone have anticipated what they were going to face on the streets of London as they walked along? 25 years on, Sarah, what do we remember about Diana? Is it her charity work or is it her own insecurities and suffering that seem to make her more accessible to us? I think her sons very much uh, keep the charity work of it alive that she wasn't just a beautiful woman who was very photogenic and they very much continue her work and refer back to it you know going back to the land minefield that kind of thing um but you know i suppose she has become more humanized in the years since she died um and you know that that she wasn't it wasn't a black and white or you know heroes and villains story she was a complicated person with her own you know issues and baggage and that you know she she was known to play the press and play the paparazzi and even play her friends and allies and enemies you know off off against each other and so i think maybe she has become on the one hand, more humanised, but on the other hand, I think the conspiracy theories will not go away and the conspiracy theories sort of feed this idea of her as being sort of superhuman, which maybe if Diana had a chance to have grown into middle age, to have grown, you know, to have gone on into her 60s, you know, she probably would have been revealed to have feet of clay like everyone else. My thanks to Sunday Independent columnist Sarah Cadden. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced and researched by myself with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from the BBC, The Associated Press, Sky News, Channel 4, National Geographic, ITV News, 60 Minutes Australia, Apple TV, the Oprah Winfrey Network and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.